Hey guys, my name is Nicole Escobar and I am your host. I am also the director of Trees of Hope, which is a nonprofit in South Florida that exists to train, educate, and equip parents on how to protect the children in their life from being sexually abused. We also offer survivor-led healing support groups for victims of sexual abuse. We wanna welcome you because this is our podcast. We hope it encourages you, we hope it inspires you, and we hope you leave here knowing that hope is real, your story matters, and that you are more than just a hashtag. So let's get to our next episode. Hey guys, welcome back to episode six of the Not Just a Hashtag and welcome to our very first home edition um, or office edition, whatever you want to call it. So on this episode, I am joined again with Holly Caratanudo, who is a sexual assault victims coordinator at the Palm Beach County Victim Services. So she joined me on episode four for the uh, Start by Believing campaign episode that we did. And if you haven't listened to that one, please, please, please go back and listen to it. Um, It's one of my favorite. I actually have listened to it several times. I went for a long run and listened to it. And I was thinking the whole time how informative and how insightful you are, Holly, and how you just... um, just come with so much wisdom and and insight into this topic. And uh, I learned a lot, even though I sat in on it and then I re-listened to it, I learned so much. And I went and I forgot I had watched that movie, the documentary, what's the name of it again? That it's based on the Start By Believing? The Netflix one, Unbelievable. Yeah. So I had watched that and I didn't realize, I didn't correlate the two um, because it was a little brutal to watch that. um, That that was... Like extremely brutal. Yeah. I I barely, I barely got through it. And my husband did not watch it with me. So I I only watched it like when I was away from him, but, um, I, I suggest you watch it because there's a lot to be learned in that. And when I, when you mentioned it in episode four and I re went back and watched it, I was like, Oh wow. I was already halfway through. Um, there was a lot to be learned there as well. So it's, but it's very triggering. I could only, you know, get through just a little bit. So Holly, before we get into the episode, I wanted to ask, how are you? How is this affecting you? Um, How's your job? How's life? Like talk to us about you. Yeah, I think we had emailed back and forth like a few weeks ago and we were sharing like similar experiences with having like feelings of, okay, I've got this, like I'm handling it. And then like, you'll wake up one day and just like this wave of like, oh, like, I can't believe this is life right now. Like I miss my family. I miss, you know, going out and seeing people and interacting with people. Um, So it's up and down. Um, I think I've been able to be more positive over the past two weeks, like really like checked myself and taken care of myself and, you know, made sure I'm going out and getting fresh air and exercising and cooking and eating healthy and not stressing about some of the things that were bogging me down before. Um, work-wise, April Sexual Assault Awareness Month, so that was really tricky. We planned all of our events to be in-person events, to be in the community, doing all this great work, and everything was canceled. And I didn't want to just not do things, so we moved a lot of things online and tried to do some virtual outreach, and it's been a learning experience, and I'm like, okay, this is something I can add to my resume. resume. Like, I've tried out new technology and you know, doing different activities that I had never done before, a lot more social media. So taking something that was going to be a big negative and trying to just turn it around and make it more positive. Yeah. And that's honestly what this whole podcast is going to be about, which is how do we know about something that's horrible, that's sad, that's hurting us, that's affecting us. But we learn to look at it as an opportunity to either pivot or to change our mindset, to look at it differently. And um, I just, I'm in total agreement with you. I mean, this week has been nonstop different things where I'm, my emotions have gone completely, I've gone from being in full like fetal position crying because I've been so scared and sad to a moment of, um, I mean, just being very transparent about what happened is Trees of Hope got hit super hard. 
we lost almost every single one of our donors had emailed me literally in the same day. I don't know why God allowed that to happen on the same day, but it, it was almost like just ripped the bandaid off and it was back to back phone calls. And I was like, okay, I don't know what to do. Then I got the email that the paycheck paycheck protection program got can't like, uh, there was no more funds. I was like, Oh my God. So I had that, that was the day that you and I emailed. Well, then on Saturday, literally a donor had emailed me and said, um, you know, basically that God had put it on their heart to help and that um, they wanted to know if we were in need and they were going to just go ahead and give a substantial donation, but they wanted to pray for us. And I was, I literally boohooed so bad because no one's ever done anything like that for me, but not only for the thing that I'm so passionate about. So I was like, you know, my emotions were just like all over the place. I've never felt so scared in one moment and then so rescued in another. Um, and so, yeah, like, you know, no two days have been the same is the other thing I'm noticing. And so that's why I just am trying to keep positive and just trying my best to no matter what, I have to keep reminding myself that it we will get through this. It won't look the same as it did before. And maybe that's a good thing, because just like you said, you're more innovative now. You've, you know, if let's say something were to change with your position or whatever, you've got a whole bunch of new skill sets that you can add to your resume and ditto here as well. Um, and I just, you know, I'm I'm with you. And, and if you're listening out there and you're feeling scared and and worried and just know that you're not alone, right? Especially for a victim of sexual abuse, you have a whole set of emotions and feelings already of being triggered. And then I'm sure this is triggering you all over again. I mean, for me, I feel all sense of out of control. So I'm trying to do certain things to help me feel a little bit of control over my life. And one of those things was on Sunday, every single Sunday for the past five weeks, I've been writing my goals out or the things I need to accomplish every day for each day. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and that may change, but it gives me a sense of control over my days. And every day I've been crossing them off as I've completed them. And it gives me a sense of accomplishment too. And I, I have added in there prayer. I've added in their Bible study. I've also added workouts, eating healthy. And then I try to do five work-related things. But you have to also learn to pivot if something were to happen and to throw you off, right? Like my internet went out this week. And so everything I had prepared to do got switched to another week, which is totally fine. But I had to re-sit down and go, okay, now what can I do? What can I adjust here? How can I change or pivot? How can I move something off to help me regain a sense of control? Because something just made me feel out of control once again. So um, yeah, I'm totally with you. Um, so as I'm thinking about this podcast and as things are changing around us, one of the things I don't want to do is stop recording these. Um, as you see, we have different guests on each time and that is probably going to be our new normal. So the girls that used to be here with me, I probably won't see them all together here for some time now. And um, I just, I need you guys to know as our listeners that I love you guys so much. You feel like an extended family. You feel like people that if I could, I would hug you. I would just give you a big kiss and just thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Um, I recently was questioning, is this important? Is this podcast something we still should be doing or want to do? Um, because I wasn't seeing the traction or the, the amount of listeners as I had in the past. And I had a friend actually say to me, no, you do not stop this. Like now's not the time to stop this. You may be seeing a less listeners because people are dealing with the burden of COVID-19. So to listen to sexual abuse healing information or sexual abuse topic is also going to be maybe a little difficult for them. And so I then was thinking about all this. And then in that same day, God is so interesting. I get three emails, three different people encouraging us, saying how grateful they are for the podcast. They don't go to any church. They don't go to, they haven't gone to our small group, but they wanted to just 
reach out and thank us for providing this content. They said they laugh with us, they've cried with us, they've related to Mariah's story, to my story, to Anissa's story, to um, Holly, the other Holly's story. I mean, it, it just brought me so much joy and it made me realize that this is worth, it's worth doing. So I only share that because I want you guys to know how important you are to me and how special it is to come here each and every time to record these and to know that if there's somebody that we're providing hope for, that then this is a job well done for us and it's what brings us joy. And um, I just hope that every time you turn these on that you hear our passion and that you are filled with hope. Um, so for those of you who are new, this podcast is for anyone who has been sexually abused, but it is also for someone who hasn't been sexually abused and maybe just wants to know more information about sexual abuse. So I have many friends who haven't been sexually abused who listen because it's good information for them to know because so many people have been sexually abused that it's good information for them to know how to talk to their friends, how to support their friends, how to be there for them. And I think that this can be shared and, and information can be learned by anyone, but we really do have a heart for those who have experienced sexual abuse. So if you're new, you may be wondering, what is this podcast about? So in the research that we have done, um, it's been done on uh, people who have addictions and people who have eating disorders and who come through our groups and, and different um, studies that we're a part of. And it is just something that we saw a resounding amount of people came forward with sexual abuse in their past. So honestly, when we had realized that, we realized, okay, we could deal with these other issues on this podcast, but the main thing we want to deal with is the topic of sexual abuse and how to heal from it. And I think that sexual abuse has never changed. Like statistics haven't changed on it. I mean, the only difference is, is that people now with the Me Too movement and with these other movements that have come out is that they're finding their voice. And so we're really excited about that. However, it's a big difference to know your story and then, or, and, and to know how it's affected your life. So one of the things about the Me Too movement that I don't think does enough is it's just awareness. And it's bringing you um, an encouragement to speak up, to share your story. But you can't stop there. You really have to seek help. You really do. And we strongly encourage that anyone who has been sexually abused, that you do seek a counselor, a mental health trained counselor who deals with the topic of sexual abuse. Or you get into a group therapy or group setting with other survivors where you can talk amongst yourselves and share your story with each other. It doesn't normalize it per se. It makes it feel less um, like you're alone and like less like it was just you that experienced it. What is your um, history with group? You talked about group therapy in the past and you mentioned how it's so important that people of the same um, experiences come together and find healing and hope within each other. Um, would you agree that a group therapy is like super important for someone who's been sexually abused? Yeah, I think I just read um, Chanel Miller's Know My Name, which is her story of sexual assault on a college campus. Mm -hmm. She for so long was Emily Doe, an anonymous victim. So nobody knew except for like her immediate family and two or three close friends that she was this victim who was all over the media in this case. And after the perpetrator was found guilty, her um, the prosecutor in the case handed her this box full of letters and cards. And she started opening them and every single one had like the same message of, thank you, your voice is my voice. And it was so fulfilling for her to realize that she wasn't alone and suddenly her fight had become this fight for others. And like that feeling of, knowing other people have experienced the, the feelings and emotions that you are experiencing is so important for survivors of sexual violence and victims of sexual violence to know that I'm not alone and other people feel this way. Because I think there's a feeling of, oh my gosh, I must be crazy because of these emotions that I'm experiencing. And to hear other people tell their truth and their story and their narrative and be like, oh, I'm not alone. This happens to other people is just vital. It's such a key piece of healing for survivors. Yeah. 
And um, I loved that uh, letter that she wrote. Not, I'm sure it, it was in the book too, right? Where yeah. she, yeah, it was very impactful. Um, yeah. I know a lot of survivors had read that letter themselves and their own story and just, it was really moving. Um, so that's why we're here. And um, there's so many layers to sexual abuse. And most of the time, a survivor, like we're saying, will need that extra care. But most importantly, professional attention, professional individual counseling. And we offer that here at Trees of Hope. It is a resource that comes at a discounted rate. But um, Victims Services in Palm Beach also offer that, right, Holly? Yeah, so we offer it at no cost to survivors of crime. Um, all of our therapists here are licensed. So someone can call and get those services for themselves and their family members. We talk about secondary victims, which are family members and um, partners of those who experience sexual violence. They really need help sometimes of how to help their partner, help their family member or parents whose child was sexually abused and the parent has that guilt and um, wants to get healing for themselves. We offer that as well. Awesome, I love that. So if you've been with us from the beginning, thank you so much for turning this on each and every week and being here with us. We don't wanna do these podcasts without you. If you know someone who could benefit, especially this episode, cause it's so good, please share it, okay? Or another awesome thing you could do is go online and rate and review us. That would mean the world to us. Um, recently, like I said, I got those emails, but I also went on to Apple Podcasts and I saw there was several really cool reviews and a couple of more five stars. We, The more you star us in a positive light, as in five stars or four, um, it just increases our visibility, which means more people will see us. As of right now, I think you'd actually have to type in our full name in order to find us. If you typed in sexual abuse help, I don't think we're popping up still, which just means that we don't have enough listeners or enough um, comments or subscribers to make that happen. And so we depend on you guys. And if you could help us in that way, if that's the one small way you give back, that would mean the world to us. Okay, so let's dive in. This week we are talking about how disasters can increase the vulnerabilities of sexual abuse, especially amongst children and vulnerable adults. So in normal times, the prevalence of sexual assault in our society is astoundingly high. Uh, like we've shared on multiple podcasts or different episodes, we've shared that one in three girls will be sexually abused before their 18th birthday and one in six boys. But we all know that that's just based on reportings. And there's a whole 12% that goes unreported each year. And during and following a pandemic like COVID, it is likely that there is going to be an increase in perpetration of sexual assaults, but a decrease in reporting even more during times when conditions for reporting are optimal, which is like right now, where you can't necessarily go drive to a police station or go drive to a victim services center and report your abuse. We are in um, social distancing. We are in stay at home, um, you know, commands or whatever they're calling it. They're saying suggestions. So it's it's going to decrease the amount of people who are willing to venture out and go, hey, you know what, I'm going to go report this, even though I've got a lot of hurdles to overcome here. So because sexual assault is so traumatic for victims, it often takes weeks, months, or even years for a victim to report the crime or get help. And if they ever get help, like I've shared before, if people come through Trees of Hope, they typically are in their 40s. That is the number, that is the age range, 40 to 65 years old, that people are coming through our program. That means that if they were sexually abused as a child, they have been carrying that for so many years. So in fact, there are many reasons that a individual would be reluctant. And a lot of that seems pretty common sense, like feelings of people not believing them feelings of shame or a desire to just forget about it. Um, the reason why I bring those up specifically is because I had every one of those. I would say, well, if I bring this up, no one's going to believe me. Then when I did bring it up and because I felt the confidence, my parents were like, yeah, right. If that were true, you would have told us earlier. So they only reaffirmed what I originally believed as a child. 
feelings of shame. You sometimes feel like you did something to cause it to happen to you. Every survivor feels that. It is a false belief, but you feel it. Then the desire to just forget about it. I mean, talk about minimization, talk about denial. I had every one of those things. I minimized the extent of harm so much so that I even said I made it up. And I, I'm not alone here. I know this is a common feeling and a common desire for a lot of victims of sexual abuse. Holly, do you have any feedback on this? Yeah, I think that when it comes to feelings of shame and we beat ourselves up so much about everything, you know, especially during times like this when we're not, you know, we're going through Instagram and we're not baking the loaves of bread that our friends are baking or, you know, getting in the morning exercises that our friends are getting in. And we just are like, oh, I'm worthless because I didn't do these things that must most be so important when you're quarantined. And it's so ridiculous. And it's the same thing when it comes to a sexual abuse and assault. We blame ourselves for no reason. And I think part of the, re there is a reason. I think part of the reason is, is because society has this tendency to tell victims of sexual abuse, you did something wrong. You provoked this person in some way. And that message is sent to young people and they hear it and they start to believe it. And so when something happens to them, they're like, oh, I must have done this. And they get that sense of shame and guilt. Um, and when you are experiencing a time like this, and then you experience the shame of not doing the things that you want to be doing during quarantine, it just amplifies that earlier shame from your trauma. It's all, you know, it, shame is, it's all, it all comes together. It builds up. It doesn't dissipate. It just keeps building up until you start expressing it, until you start releasing how you're feeling about what has happened in your life. Totally. I thought I was the only one that was like looking at my Instagram and thinking, okay, am I a total loser? Because my friends are over here homeschooling, baking bread, like laying out and still posing with their perfect hair and their perfect freaking lives. And I'm like, like, and I'm over here just like trying to hold on. <laughs> it feels. And I, and I think it's, it's important for people to be honest and say, okay, so maybe I've made a loaf of bread today, but yesterday I laid on the couch and I binge watch this show and I didn't move. And that's okay. Like we only see the best parts of people's lives on social media and we don't see behind the curtain. And I always am trying to like show people behind the curtain of my life. And I get people that'll send me comments. Like, I love your honesty and I love like how real you are about things. And I'm like, yeah, like there are moments where I am crying hysterically over my first graders homework. Cause I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. And I don't know how to help her, you know? And then there's other times where we build something that's like amazing. And I'm going to take a picture of it and post it, but I'm going to share both because that's reality is that we're not always, successful in the things that we do. And we shouldn't allow ourselves to put that kind of false message out there because people do feel bad about it. You're seeing a lot of people feeling depressed and anxious right now because they're not living that dream quarantine life right now. Mm -hmm. So true. And thank you for saying that because it actually makes me want to just be kinder to myself. Like if I don't get to, you know, like one of the things is I've been trying to cook I don't cook. I've never cooked. Um, I lived in a home with an Italian mom who always cooked our food, but I always ate healthy. So it was very much like whatever was accessible, quick chicken in the refrigerator, cut that up broccoli. It's not like a lot of science into this. So recently I've been like full on cooking and I keep missing an ingredient. It's like the <laughs> never ending story at my house. You hear, uh oh, babe. And he goes, Oh God, what did you forget? And I'm like, <laughs> I forgot this. And he, I'm like, can I substitute this? And honestly, the other day I just had to, I, I was crying because it I wanted this thing to be so perfect. It was so going to be just amazing. And then it ended up being disgusting because it was missing the one, one of the most main ingredients. But I just looked at Raph and I was like, babe, and he's like, it's okay. Like it's gonna, it's, we're going to eat it and we're going to enjoy it. And I was like, okay, so can I be kind to myself? And he was like, yeah, go ahead, get crazy, be like really happy. And I'm like, but it's almost like we tell ourselves that we have to get mad in order to show ourselves how passionate we are about the the topic or whatever. Yeah, and it's, you have to do that reality testing every now and then. Like I remember one time I came home and I hadn't 
turned like plugged in the crock pot like I turned it on but I never plugged it in so like all day long my meal had just been sitting in the crock pot not cooking everything was ruined had sat out all day and I was so upset but in the reality like is it that big of a deal should I just order a pizza and forget about it? like I have every right to be upset over it and sit in that moment and be upset but like don't let it ruin your night it's time to be like okay you know what I messed up I was really excited about this meal. It's all going in the trash. I'm ordering a pizza. I'm getting over it, you know, and it's important to give ourselves that, that, you know, respect ourselves and respect that like we make mistakes and it's okay. And it's not going to ruin everything. And we're allowed to make mistakes, but we're all dealing with things right now. And it's okay that we are forgetting things and it's okay that we're in our feelings sometimes, or it's okay that we just want to not do anything. Like we just want to sit on the couch and just veg out for a little while. That's okay. Give yourself that, that time. Yeah. I love that. Well, good. Okay. So now we're going to get into the brunt of this, which is um, I'm going to go over some questions and I'd love for you to just kind of explain each one. So the first one is in the line of work that you do is sexual violence, a problem in the midst of disasters. So most of the research that we have is on natural disasters. So acute disasters like a hurricane or an earthquake where something comes in, lasts for like two to three days, and then it's gone and we deal with the repercussions afterwards. This is so different. So when we talk about sexual violence in a disaster, it's hard to really look for research that we've never had an experience since what, 1912 was the last time that we had like some sort of pandemic like this in the United States. Um, We do know that after Hurricane Katrina, there was many sexual assault reports that came out within hours of people being placed in evacuation shelters, that chaos and that close proximity of people led to a lot of sexual abuse and sexual assault reports coming out of there. Um, It was just overcrowded. But we also know that like our normal social and protective factors have disappeared. So most of our child abuse reports come from school staff, teachers, counselors, someone at the school sees something, hears something, and they make a report. That's not happening right now. And I think our teachers are really struggling to become proficient in distance learning to then put on them, okay, now look at the child at their house. You see anything different? And there's some kids that just aren't able to do the distance learning right now for whatever reason. So I think we're missing a lot of child abuse reports from that. Um, Those that are vulnerable on a normal basis are homeless, people with physical disabilities, people who are struggling with mental health or substance abuse they're vulnerable on a day-to-day basis. Now add in isolation, add in lack of protective factors, they're more vulnerable. We're more likely to see them victimized during this time. And we're less likely to see people reporting because most people think, again, they don't give themselves enough credit. Well, this isn't as big of an issue as the coronavirus. So I'm not gonna report it because I'm not gonna tie up the police and the hospitals with my own issue at home. So there's that factor that we're seeing that people just don't think it's that big of a deal. Some people with sexual violence, they don't want to go to the hospital right now because they don't want to be exposed to anything that's at the hospital. So our work has done a lot here to say, if you've been sexually assaulted and you don't have any immediate medical needs, you don't need to go to the hospital, call us. And we have a standalone center where we can meet with them that wouldn't require them going into the ER, which is really helpful for people that are fearful of going to the ERs right now. I love that. Um, I did read the whole, there was like a whole study done on how to prevent, uh, in times of disasters, how to prevent sexual abuse from being a bigger issue. And I did Mm -hmm. read the whole detail about, uh, Katrina. And I mean, to know that many people were being sexually abused and for them that they couldn't get out of the situation. And it almost reminded me it it reminds me of this is like you're stuck at home and there's nothing you can do, which leads me to my second question is what is the underlying cause of sexual abuse happening of an increase during this time? So the major thing we're all experiencing right now is stress. We are all under like stress from different places, financial stress, health stress, and people that are more prone to commit acts of sexual violence are likely to seek out power and control to deal with their own stress through committing more sexual violence. 
So that's definitely one of the underlying causes is someone just wanting to somehow get power and control. We talked about it ourselves. Like what are we doing to have control in our own lives? So someone who uses control through sexual violence is more likely to do it during this time because they're having such increased stress due to they lost their job or they're worried about their health or they're worried about their losing their house because they can't pay for their rent anymore. Um, it's important to remember that sexual violence happens before disasters. Disasters don't create sexual violence. It just can worsen it and it can bring it out. We'll hear about it more during this time, um, but it's not something that solely, and we know this, we talk about it all the time. It's not something that just exists during a disaster. Mm-hmm. Totally. Okay, so what types of violence are likely to increase? And let's go down like the vulnerable people groups. So the first one would be um, children. Children. So what are the risk factors for child abuse? Parental stress, economic instability, and housing insecurity. What are we experiencing right now? All of those things. Parents are not used to having to care for their children 24-7. I'm a parent and I have a master's degree and you know, caring for my kids 24 seven is harder than my day job, you know, and so having to do that on top of working my day job or for people that have become unemployed, now they have these kids in their home and they have to feed them. And, you know, I know my grocery bills have doubled just having my kids back at the house. So there's so much stress and and the financial piece is so important, not just for child abuse, but uh, intimate partner violence as well. That financial stress can be such a trigger for violence in the home. Also with our children, you know, we talk about sexual abuse often being acute, meaning, you know, um, a family member comes over to visit the home and touches the child inappropriately, and then the family member leaves because the party's over, whatever happens, and they leave and they're gone. What we're seeing now is that children are quarantined to their home, often with the abuser. And so something that might have happened one or two times now might be happening on a daily basis because that child is no longer going to school. They're not going to their social activities. I think that parents who do have to go into work because they're essential employees need childcare. Who are they having watch their children? Um, I think it's a struggle right now to find people that you can trust to come into your home and watch your children. We have seen a couple of instances of people having access to kids and doing really terrible things to them over the past few weeks. Um, so I have a lot of concerns about children being home with their abusers or parents just hitting that point where they become physically abusive with their child because of their own financial stress or personal stressors. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned intimate partner violence and sexual violence amongst intimate partners. A lot of people do not understand that that's a real thing. Like they, they think just because they're married that they have to submit and do certain things. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, I think that in a, a relationship between two people, male, female, 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 male, male, there is a very, they don't always work. And I think people think that just because someone is dating and living together or married, that they've worked out all of those kinks. And in most cases, there's a lot of vulnerabilities for that relationship. And what do couples tend to fight over the most? Finances. It's been researched, it's been studied. Divorces usually happen because of finances. And it was interesting too, I saw one of, um, and we're kind of close in age, so you'll probably know this person as well as I do, but Kristen Cavallari, who was on The Hills and has her own show now, just announced that her and her husband are divorcing. And I thought, oh, like what a wake up call for people because I think again, we think, they live this happy life. They're on a reality show. They have all these kids and they have all this money. And suddenly during this time, they announce their divorce. And I don't know if it's related, but I think we will see more situations like that happen. Um, some couples do well because they live separate lives in terms of like their careers. When you're quarantined in your house all day with your partner, there's a lot of things that might not have come up in the past that are going to come up now. If one person loses their job and then the other person suddenly becomes the breadwinner, that's a power and control struggle. So if the um, one partner had been that breadwinner and they were the responsible for paying the bills, they lose their job and now the spouse becomes the breadwinner and the power and control switches, how is the partner going to react to that? 
So we do see a lot of um, domestic violence, dating violence happen. We see people that are living together and might have broken up during this time, but due to financial stresses, stressors, due to the quarantine, they're not able to leave that home. So imagine now having to live with someone who you're no longer in a relationship with, maybe it's become hostile, and where do you go? You can't go to family members' houses because you've been quarantined from your family. Um, how do you get that support that you need? Yeah, I mean, that on the lower level, I experienced that same thing with me and my husband. He was home for a whole week. We were taking care of our dog who had bilateral knee surgery. And literally she couldn't walk. We had to carry her to go to the bathroom and do everything. She was on morphine. I mean, it was a mess. And we were getting into the dumbest fights over nothing. I was like, don't talk to me like that. And he was like, I don't like that you're, you know, you're always yelling at me. And I'm like, and it was basically we had to sit down and go, okay, what are we getting so mad about? Like, why are we raising our voices? We don't talk like this normally to each other. I feel like you're disrespecting me. I feel like, you know, and it was like not, and then we finally got to a place of like, I hear you. I hear what you're Mm -hmm. saying. I see how I'm doing it and vice versa. And it was like, okay, well, how can we work through this? Cause we have another five days together. This was like day two. And we figured it out. It, it's not been rosy. You know, it's a daily by day thing. And I, I think a lot of it is self-reflecting on yourself if you can and going, if you're not in one of these horrible situations, but if you can right. work through it. Um, but in those bad situations, what can someone do to find hope? To get so, out of that? Yeah. And I think a lot of people are stuck right now. And that's, it's so difficult. I think us as advocates have been really struggling in this time because usually we're saying, what can we do to help you get out and leave? But right now it's a struggle of where are they going to go? And if there's not, if they've lost their job recently and they don't have that financial ability to leave the home, it's really a struggle. So we've talked a lot with um, victims of domestic violence that we've been talking to about safety planning. So having that plan in place, if things do get to the point where you no longer feel safe in your own home, you do need to get out and you need to have that plan in place. We are asking them to have friends, family members that they can call, support people to stay connected. One of the things that's important to remember, they keep calling it social distancing, which I think is is, is something that it's making it seem like you can't talk to anyone. No, it's physical distancing. You need to stay social. That is so important. You need to stay connected to people. Um, I know there's a campaign right now to have a signal on web calls that you need assistance. And it's like you hold up your palm and you bend your thumb into your palm and then bend your four fingers like that. And so without saying anything, if I did this, someone who I'm on a web call with or video chatting with would know, oh my gosh, they need help, right? Do I need to call the police? Let me get them assistance. So we at, we're asking friends and family members to talk to the people that are in your lives. You know, I yell across the street to my neighbor all the time. We're always checking in on, our, on each other. You can keep that physical distance while staying social and connected to people. If we allow people that are in vulnerable situations, whether it be in intimate partner violence, sexual abuse, to become isolated, that's when we're really going to see negative consequences. We need them to be able to be connected to other people and resources. You know, when we talk about child abuse, um, I've heard great stories of like teachers individually calling students and parents and checking in and you know, just getting that text message from someone or that phone call, like, how are things? Are you guys okay? Is there anything that you need? Is so important. And it doesn't take much to send that text message. You know, you talked about getting the responses to your podcast. When I was doing some of the campaigns in April for Sexual Sexual Assault Awareness Month, I felt like, is anybody even participating? Is anybody even listening? And then like, people would send in a picture of their team wearing teal. And I'm like, Okay, it was so reassuring to me that people are listening and people are participating. And we have to remember that we can be physically distant, but stay connected. That is so important right now. Yeah. And I mean, it just like you said, it can take a simple text. Uh, Just recently, I've been, it's been on my heart to just reach out to people who I haven't reached out to. And if they don't respond, they don't respond. But it's important that I reach out and just let them know I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you. And I just want you to know you're on someone's heart. Right. And it's, it's actually reconnected. A lot of 
relationships that I felt fell at the wayside, you know, or that wouldn't probably be connected in during normal times. Absolutely. I'm having the same thing. Like people I haven't talked to in a few months or even a few years, like connecting, like my girlfriend's from high school. Like we, our group chat has never been busier. There's one friend that like does these crazy TikToks and she sends us like a new one every day. And that's just so helpful to get those little messages and have a laugh and, and experience that hope. And there's so many helplines out there. Um, I know there's like a national parental helpline. They had a 40% increase in calls during this time of parents saying, I need help with childcare, I need help with food or housing. There are helplines out there to help. I love hearing the stories of how people are donating things right now. Um, If you're able to give, I think it's such an important time to give. That has been like my savior right now, like all these small organizations and small businesses that I love, just trying to buy like a t-shirt from this place or, you know, support this local business. It makes me feel good. I can't do that much, but I'm lucky enough to still have an income. And so I can help out a little bit. And if we all do our part, I think it makes such a difference to other people. Yeah. Especially if you can, if you can, please do. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And like, you know, at Trees of Hope, one of the things that like I had shared is we lost was donors and I'm not using this as a ploy to get anyone to donate, but you know, generosity can't stop (laughs) because sexual abuse is not going to leave us. This is a problem that we're going to still have to face. It's what I say is it's an epidemic that's that it affects everyone. It affects 100% of us because it's someone you know, you you work with, it's someone at church, it's something. It's one of our friends. And it we're going to have to still face this when this is all over. And we can't forget the good work that organizations like Trees of Hope and others who are fighting hard to make sure that this doesn't get blurred into, as in sexual abuse doesn't get blurred into this problem. Because that's one of the things when the donor, when my last donor who emailed me, she said, is there any way I can pray for you? And I said, yeah, please pray that people will not forget the importance of sexual abuse. And that the hard work that we are doing to heal and protect is still out there. And it's hard to it's hard to go on Facebook and be like, hey, guys, I'm doing a fundraiser for Trees of Hope because they're like, get out of here. You know, we're dealing with COVID. We can't deal with your sexual abuse stuff. But it's that's what I'm getting at is that I'm feeling so much of that. Like, can we just erase the topic of sexual abuse right now? And it's like, no, we can't. We really can't. Um, We'll try to lighten the amount of conversation about it, but we'll, we're not going to stop talking about it. Cause once we stop then it's forgotten and it just goes back to that same old before the me too movement and before these other things where people had a voice and then everyone's just feeling shame again and quiet. And as if they, they're all alone and I, we just can't yeah. have that happen. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, with sexual abuse, in the next six months, when things kids go back to school, your services and the services that we provide are going to be so integral because there's going to be people coming in and saying, this is what happened while I was home. And so the services are going to be needed so greatly. And also the prevention side of it too, ensuring that parents are still having those conversations with their kids and letting them know that this still can happen and it can happen in your home and you have to be aware of that and accept that that's a real reality. There was actually um, April 28th, there was an article in NPR that said the National Sexual Abuse Hotline saw a 22% increase in calls from minors. And that's the first time in history that they've had such an increase in calls from minors. 67% identified the perpetrator as a family member and 79% of the minors who called said that they were currently living with the perpetrator. So imagine being sexually abused, even if it happened three years ago, but now you have to live with that person through this quarantine. So as much as we say we're safer at home, for some people, it's just not safer at home. And we have to ensure that they have people to reach out to. It's so great that you are keeping up with what you're doing. We are doing it here. You know, I think um, there's been a big push to remind people that sexual assault advocates are essential our work is essential in what we do and the support that we provide. And it's going to be even more essential as we move forward. Totally. Yeah. When I saw that safer at home thing, I was like, that actually bothers me because half a lot of children cannot say that 
And that's a really unfortunate thing, but okay. That leads me to the next one, which is sexual, um, human traffic victims and sexual exploitation victims. So what are their vulnerabilities and what's up with that in regards to disasters? There's been a lot of focus right now recently on internet crimes against children. So a sexual exploitation on the internet, we're doing distance learning. So all of the kids are on the internet all of the time. Like there is no limits anymore because they have to do their education online. And then perpetrators, so many people are working from home or laid off our home and there's just more time for them to exploit young children. So that has definitely seen an increase in viewing child sexual material on the internet, producing child sexual material on the internet. So being aware of what your child is doing on the computer, having the computer in a um, central location in the house is vital. Somewhere where you can see what they're seeing on their screen, you have to be able to know that they're actually doing their schoolwork and not on some other site that you don't want them on. Um, So that's really important. Would you also say an increase in pornography has increased? Yeah, for sure. And I know um, some people refer to it as like child pornography. And I try to stay away from that because it's not. It's child sexual abuse material. Like it is not. I think, you know, there's like that tendency of like, oh, well, it's just pornography. It doesn't hurt anyone. Like, no, it's child sexual abuse material. And I do think, you know, there's that link between viewing pornography and sexual violence. Um, that people become normalized by it, that they see these like assaults happen through the pornography or think that this is actually how sex is. And especially for our young people, if no one talks to them about love and romantic relationships and sex, and they just see pornography as sex, they don't understand how harmful that is. And they just become so um, desensitized to it. Totally. We're so good. Okay, now let's talk about a, um, a people group that we miss a lot, and that is elderly people. Yeah, so elderly people, again, physical distance versus social distance. So especially those that are living in those long-term care facilities, they are greatly socially isolated right now, and they don't need to be. They can be um, talk to via video chat. They can be sent letters. They can be sent different things. I sent, um, I have a family member in a long-term care and I sent like this huge snack package to the care for the workers and for the residents because the workers have such a difficult job right now to go into these facilities and care for these people who aren't able to see their family members, but then also the people that are in the facilities are, are struggling. Usually family members go in to see their elderly person in their lives weekly, every other week, whatever it may be, and they see changes in behavior and they might see things that would lead them to see, is something going on here? That's not happening now. We're, I mean, we haven't been allowed in long-term care facilities for months at this point. It's probably going on two months and we don't know when that is going to end. That seems to be one of our most vulnerable populations. So I, I have a lot of concerns about those long-term care facilities. We, we've seen sexual assaults happen Um, in those long-term care, either resident on resident, staff on resident. Um, Sometimes you'll have an elderly person come up with a STI or an STD and the family member's like, "Um, why are they testing positive for this? Like, what is going on here? And the family member does the right thing and calls the authorities in and there will be a case of sexual assault in those long-term care facilities. Highly, highly underreported. I think they said one in 12 cases of abuse are actually reported. Only one in 12. So 11 others are happening without anyone reporting it. So I do think that that is a um, population that's suffering greatly right now from COVID, but then it could also be suffering from the other abuses that are taking place. Um, I think, again, send some letters to them. If you have one near your house, drop off some you know, food or snacks if you can, something to let the people know that there's people caring for them you know, make sure that they have access to the helplines and phone numbers in those facilities that they can call and report if something's happening there. Yeah, I love that. And I also know of an organization here in South Florida, if you live here, that actually is permitted to go in and deliver packages. Not the whole team is allowed in, just I think it's one person, the director. Heart to Heart is the name of the organization, and they do amazing work. And I know that 
I was just talking to the director the other day and, and they're writing cards and doing all the things that you just talked about. Um, but if you wanted to just contact them, you could do it. You can send all your cards, your gifts or whatever to them and they drop them off to the locations that they go and visit on a regular basis. So that's an option. Yeah, I see so many posts about people donating food to hospitals and healthcare workers are just great. But I think we could do the same thing in a lot of those long-term care facilities, make sure that they know. Um, and if the staff feel, feel valued, they're more likely to take better care of the individuals that are there as well. So making sure that the staff that work at those long-term care facilities, that is a thankless job. It is so difficult to work at some of those places. And so ensuring that they get the same sort of um, thanks that other people are getting. Totally. I'm so glad you, you said that about the workers. I would agree 100%. And if you send something to, to one of your loved ones, just think about the person who's consistently taking care and maybe send them something as well. That would be a nice little gesture. So how has reporting um, increased, decreased? Um, I know you kind of talked about that, but if you want to go a little bit deeper into why, go ahead. Yeah, so we've definitely seen a decrease in our calls. Um, our after hours calls usually come through 211. And so when we talk to 211, they're seeing an increase in um, suicidal calls. So people needing help due to um, feeling suicidal, feeling isolated, which is scary, you know, to think that people are isolated and feeling that way. And I'm happy to hear that they're reaching out. And it's a great thing to remember is you can always call 211 and they'll connect you with the right helpline. If you don't know like a certain helpline that you want to talk to, you can always just call 211 and they'll connect you. Um, so we have seen a decrease in our cases. We are still getting them. Like we've talked to other organizations throughout the state who are getting no calls, no cases whatsoever, but we still are getting them. Um, so we're happy to know that people still know we are here and they can reach out. But we also know that there are people at home who don't know about us and don't know about our services or just can't access them for whatever reason. Um, but we are still operating pretty much the same way that we've been operating. Our lobbies are closed. So if someone has to go to the courthouse to file like an injunction for protection, um, they wouldn't be able to like walk into our office. But our staff, you can call them, they will walk you through the entire process. The courts have closed down a lot of their cases, but they still are filing injunctions for protection, which is so important. So if you were assaulted or hurt by someone that you live with or you're in a relationship with, you can still get that injunction for protection, especially important with child abuse cases. The parents can still file an injunction for protection on the child's behalf. That's great. So, yeah, so basically tell us how can this problem so we've listed a bunch of vulnerabilities and people groups and and we've kind of talked about some of the ways that we can solve that but what are you guys doing and maybe what can you recommend that people do in general to now solve or help with this problem i think not marginalizing it and not saying like we had talked about people being like well, well COVID is so important right now like everything else has to be pushed aside no absolutely not like we have to learn to live with this is our reality right now and this horrible thing is happening but that doesn't mean other horrible things are just stopping and just letting people know that there's no tier of suffering that one or one person's suffering is worse than another person's suffering so someone who has experienced sexual abuse or sexual assault it's not any better than someone who's experiencing COVID. it's all terrible and we don't have to say well like oh that's not as bad as this no they are all equally traumatic and difficult for people to to experience i think also being kind to one another i've been reading like some facebook posts from um a teacher friend of mine like posted how you know people are complaining about students who aren't doing work and they're not remembering that like the students are experiencing their own levels of trauma right now and everything that they're experiencing in their life and she was getting bashed by other teachers about it. Like, no, these kids didn't do work when they were in school either. They're just lazy. And it was funny to me to almost see the teacher's own anxiety coming out. And I don't think they realized it. Their own anger at these students for not doing their work was probably their own anxiety about what's happening. So we need to be kind to each other. And when you see someone doing something that you don't agree with, like that's probably their anxiety. That's probably how they are exhibiting it. You know, you see a lot of people not happy with the lockdowns right now. 
how they're exhibiting their anxiety. They're very anxious about the economy. They're very upset about losing their job. They're upset they might not be able to pay their mortgage. And we have to be okay with that. You know, all of us have our own battles that we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And the fighting and the um, arguments that are happening on social media, it can be really hard to read and difficult to experience. So we need to take a step back and be kind to one another and remember that we're not helping the situation by saying one thing's better than the other, one thing's worse than the other. Um, There are people that are experiencing these horrific things in their homes and we have to be there for them and let them know that if you're experiencing this and you need help, you can reach out to me and I will help you. And anything you hear that you are worried about, you let that person know that you are there for them. And if you can help them in any way, you're there to help them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And like, I, I would even recommend everybody go on a social media fast. <laughs> like, yeah. let us all just like get off social media because it has added so much extra thoughts, opinions, ideas into my mind that I don't need. It's nonstop COVID information. This this one over here is saying this person's lying than this one. And it's just nonstop and it's annoying. And it's then it's like, then you're comparing your life to someone else's. And, Mm -hmm. and the one thing I keep noticing I'm doing is I keep wanting to be in a different season than what I'm currently in. And I can't do that. And I'm like looking at someone else's life and I'm like, Oh man, I wish I was doing that right now. And I'm like, but when you were doing that, you were wishing you were doing what you're doing now, which is working from home. Mm -hmm. Like, come on. So yeah, it's, it's all distracting and it's not good. And I think now there's someone out there wishing they were in your season too. Yeah. You know, and that's important (laughs) to remember, like you might be wishing you're in something else. And then there's probably someone wishing that they were in your shoes right now. So we, we have to remember that, that we have to value what we have while we have it. Totally. And to also think that if it's, if like, it's not worth like I think of the futile fights and the dumb conversations and the stupid bantering with people that in my opinion now is meaningless. It was just meaningless. And it just makes no sense why I allow it to bother me anymore. Like I am at the point right now, and I don't know if I'll keep this consistency after this whole thing, but like Thing, I have one person who would text me and every time they would text me, it would, it would, I don't know if you ever get this blood boiling because something they would say would just be like, so off. It would just be so ridiculous. And it was like, I would be, get fired up and I would want to respond back with like a quick retort of like, you know, ugh, just making sure they got put in their place. And just recently they text me and I was like, do you care? Like, it's not a big deal. If like you never saw them mm-hmm. again, would it really bother you? And I was like, yeah, and I'm not going to let it bother me anymore. And for some reason, it just, it kind of gave me grace to go like, this is not that important. So get, okay, can we worry about something else? This is not important, important at all. And it's right. just like, we have to really look at our lives right now and say, what is worth focusing on and what's worth not focusing on? And I think social media is just one. I I do have social media, but I just, I try to limit my time on there as much as possible. Yeah. It's so important to just take care of yourself and, you know, all of our frontline staff, our, our, you know, police officers and hospital staff. I think they're so constantly bombarded by like precautions and worrying about COVID that um, I'm hoping that they're still, and they are, they're still working hard on these cases and um, aware that like when they go to a home, I've seen some great cases of police officers, like stopping a woman and her son out on the street late at night and then finding out like the woman and her son had nowhere to sleep and they're living out of their car and they went and they bought these groceries and they took, got into a hotel room. Like those are the things that need to be happening right now. Like taking care of one another, being kind, not judging the mom on the street with her son at 1am, but taking a step back and saying, well, why are they on the street at 1am? Like, what yeah. can I do to not have them on the street at 1am? Like I can help this person. You know, and I think it's the same thing with students not doing their work. Well, why aren't they doing their work? Why didn't they do their work before? There's, there's a reason there. And you've never asked that question. And I think we could just be more open to understanding that people live different lives than us. And that's okay, you know, and, and accept that and be there to support them in, in their season. Mm-hmm. That's great. So now I want to share with you some of the things that Trees of Hope is doing to help during these times. 
So we're still offering our healing groups online. Uh, we have virtual classes happening. Uh, as of right now, we have a group that's going to be happening in the summer months. But by the time this podcast comes out, you won't be able to register for it. So the next time that you'll be able to register for virtual classes, which means you'll have a live facilitator, is in the fall months. So that will be September, October, and November. So get on our, on our website. You're going to go to treesofhope.org forward slash shelter, and you'll find that's for women. If any other class, it's that's not this is not pertaining to any other class. This is only for shelter. Um, you're going to go online, add yourself to the waiting list. And when the actual dates go live, we will inform you to register. We are also still providing our online healing group, which is a pre-recorded online class. Those are $1.99 each, and you can go on and watch those at your own pace. You go ahead and buy your book. You do everything like you would in a live class. But the difference is, is that you are not going to have an online a virtual live facilitator guiding you through the content, but you will be able to uh, email an email at groups at treesofhope.org in case you do need some information about the content. So you will have somebody there to guide you through the content if you need more um, guidance. We are offering still our prevention workshops. Those are going to be on our website as well. We're doing one in the summer and one in the fall. So we typically do one a month. Now we're just going to do one a quarter, basically, just because things are uncertain, but we don't want to stop doing them. So that class is going to be $25. It's a two-hour workshop, and you get with that the Rise magazine. We are still working on all the projects that we had set out to do this year. And we had began, begun the year with a campaign called Prevention is Possible. And in that campaign, we have several different programs. So the first group of programs is for teens, and it's a prevention magazine for teens. And those are prevention magazines that go over all the things that a teen would need to know. And it comes with a parent's guide where a parent can look at the guide, read the guide, and have and start conversations with their teen as they're reading that magazine. So, you know, we're going to give you prompters and questions and, and, uh, and uh, insight and give you ideas to start the conversation with your teen about certain things that are happening in their magazine. So on the, um, in the same campaign, we are also working on, an, on a children's book series. And in each book we go into, and this is for ages between four and seven, we are going into how do we teach kids how to shout out? What are different scenarios where they can learn their inner voice and know their inner alarm? And if a situation comes, they can fire themselves up and scream and say, don't touch me there. I don't get away from me. And even if they freeze, they can shout out in their own mind and say, this is not right. Something is wrong here. I need to get out and speak out and tell someone. In addition to that, we're still working on our human trafficking prevention magazine. We just completed it. And we also completed our pornography prevention magazine. So we're doing a whole bunch of different things here at Trees of Hope to continue moving us forward and to continue to provide resources and educational tools for you as parents and for your little ones. Doesn't matter the age range, we just wanna be able to provide these resources to you. Um, so we're not stopping the good work we're doing and um, we just hope that you, if you have been sexually abused or if you do wanna know more about the prevention materials that we have, that you will either go on our website, find out more information at treesofhope.org or that you will get into one of our healing groups. Do not put yourself on the back burner because of COVID-19. Your mental health, your healing from sexual abuse is most important right now. It truly is because it affects everything that you do. It affects who you are. So that's it for our podcast. Thank you so much for being here, Holly. I appreciate you so much. You shared so much great insight and wisdom and I just appreciate it so much. Um, do you have a, want to close with anything? No, I'm, I appreciate coming back and I love hearing about what you're working on. I can't wait to hear about those books and um, the programs. They sound so interesting. And like, as you speak, every time I get like so um, empowered and by your work and amazed by the things that you're doing and how you're staying focused, even with the things that you're going through. Um, 
So thank you so much. And we are always available. People can reach us 561-833-7273-247. Please reach out. And like I said, if you need assistance and you don't know like which helpline to call, call 211 and they will connect you with the right helpline because there's so many out there that you can get to um, help you during this time of physical distancing. If I'm in New York and I press 211, will that come to you or no? That's a great question. I don't know if that's like a national thing. I know it's Broward and Palm Beach, Treasure Coast, I think even Miami-Dade, but usually every like municipality state has that sort of their number. That's like their information number. And that's who you would call. It's just like your local information center. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you for being here. Um, We love you guys and we will see you next time. Bye. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. Maybe even consider rating the podcast or share it with one of your friends. It really makes all the difference. For more content from Trees of Hope and to connect with us, go to treesofhope.org. We love you. Bye.